This is the Evangel Church Podcast, where we aspire to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter His love, and to look more and more like Him each day. This week, join us as Pastor Lisa continues our series in Colossians, called Colossians, The Wonder of the Gospel. For more information on the ministries of Evangel Church, we invite you to visit us at myevangel.church. That's myevangel.church. Well, don't you love love? Especially young love. There is just something that's so precious in those tender moments of a new love. And some of you have experienced that for yourself. And so remember with me that moment when you started to recognize that this person you were dating or spending time with was kind of changing in their value. They weren't just a friend or a buddy anymore. There was something that was deepening there, something that was happening. And maybe without even recognizing it, you started to change, right? You started to smile more. You found yourself daydreaming about the life that could potentially be possible. You started to wonder what they were doing right now what was happening, and even beyond that, you started changing. All of a sudden, your thinking, your mind started opening up your once solo life, your once solo thought pattern was expanding to have room for two. And now, those things that you started to do were influenced not just by your own preferences and likes and dislikes, but the preferences and likes and dislikes of another. You started to consider the values and the needs and wants of another because love is a powerful thing that it takes us from our selfishness and helps us to explore selflessness without even really realizing it. And over this past year, we have watched quite a few explore faith or re-explore faith. And again, there is something so incredibly beautiful and precious about those tentative moments of new love with Jesus. We're all of a sudden watching this zeal and this passion and this excitement of somebody exploring faith in Jesus for the first time reignites and rekindles that same feeling within us, just like watching someone encounter new love helps us to look at our spouse in those same puppy dog eyes that we did long ago. Just like in a romantic relationship, when we encounter Jesus, we start to live in this outflow of what we experience. All of a sudden, we become joyous people because we're experiencing joy. We become loving people because we're experiencing love. We become people full of hope because we're experiencing hope. Because his love truly is a powerful thing. And this morning, we're going to look at Paul's opening prayer of thanksgiving to the church of Colossae. And if you have your Bibles, might you turn with me to Colossians, 
And it's in the back, it's one of Paul's letters, so it's closer to the end of your Bible. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 3. And if you don't have a paper Bible and you want one, please come and find Lucas or myself after, and we would love to get one for you. But right now, if you don't have a Bible with you, there will not be words on the screen. So pull out your smartphone or your iPad if you have one. Log on to that guest Wi-Fi. And if you don't have a Bible app, just search up version, Y-O-U version in your app store. It's a great one to have. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. And it can seem like just such a basic thing, but it is so powerful. And this morning, God, would you rekindle and reignite something in us? That we would look at you with a freshness. That we would remember what it was like to just start out in that relationship when just the thought of spending time with you gave us butterflies in our excitement and we were counting down the moments and where life has stolen some of that from us, would you help us today to reclaim it? Thank you for the example of this church and your word. And God, I just pray that you, Spirit of Truth, would go before us. And that, Lord, any words of my own flesh, that those would just fade before even spoken. But your words, God, the words of truth, the ones that cause change, that those words this morning, God, would take root in our hearts and bear fruit in your precious name. Amen. So again, Colossians 1, starting at verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all his people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true word of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. I can just imagine Paul beaming with pride as he writes these words. And I don't know if you felt it as we were reading. We're going a little bit fast. But there's something about this section of scripture that makes me want to do a like, happy dance. It makes me want to rejoice. It is so encouraging and uplifting. And it reminds us of what we were like right then at the beginning of our faith journey. And it reminds us to go back there because just like in a marriage where it can be so easy to start taking your spouse for granted to allow the day-to-day to help you forget what a treasure they are the same can be true with jesus where it can be very very quick for us to forget the awe and the wonder that we get to approach the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, the Lord of Lords. Wow! 
that he would arrest us with his love, that he would offer us salvation. Wow. And so quickly we can forget that, we can let life dull it from us. And so I wonder if Paul, as he was penning these words, was experiencing that again as that excitement of watching this young church, the exuberance with which they were seeking all that God had rekindled something in his own heart. I've been reading through the entire book of Colossians every day since we decided that we were going to preach this sermon series. And if you want to join me, it's, it's a great book to read through because it only takes about 11 minutes. I timed it one day in Florida. It only takes about 11 minutes. And I have been struck over and over and over as I read it with the wonder of the gospel. The awe of God and the grace of Jesus for this church that wanted all of him so badly that they had to be reined in. They wanted, they were like hungry and desperate for all that he had, that they had to be reminded, it's okay. You have the fullness of Jesus right here. It's okay. Come back to center. And this morning, my prayer is that when we walk out of here, we would just do that. We would re-engage the wonder of the gospel. That by the end of this morning, and we stand at this communion table, that we would do it with an awe not the comfort and complacency that sneaks up on us, but once again realizing the incredible gift that this love is. So let's dive in here to this source of love, who is, Sunday school answer, Jesus. Because we know that every answer in Sunday school is Jesus, right? Yeah. Colossians 1, starting verses 3 to 6. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all his people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true word of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And there are some really interesting word choices that Paul makes here, and we're not going to get into all of them, but I'm going to get into one. And that's right at the top. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord. Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And this can seem to be almost a trivial statement that we can gloss over because we see it in other parts of Paul's writings, but it's really not. This is a very, very important statement because Paul is not writing to a Jewish crowd. He's writing to Roman citizens. He's writing to Gentiles. Now, who in this room knows that they have Jewish lineage? Hands up. If you know you have Jewish lineage, Inger, just you? No. Okay, perfect. Back there, maybe you've done 23andMe. 
some sort of DNA test, or you've heard it passed down through the, through the stories, but we have one. Is that right? Anyone else brave enough to wave at me right now? Okay. Oh, a few. Okay. We have, like, this section, there are a few. Congratulations. To you, God would have been called the Father of Israel or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To you three, the family of God would have been extended. Three. Through the law. And the rest of us, we're excluded from that. That's why this is so powerful. The Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Because now, through Jesus, the family of God is opened to everyone. To everyone. If that didn't happen, you three would be here filling this whole church yourselves. And the rest of us still would have been foreigners and outsiders to the hope and the power of Jesus. But because of his sacrifice on the cross, we too have been adopted. We too get to claim that title of our Father. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So this is not a trivial sentence somewhere in an opening prayer. No, God is impressing upon Paul the vastness of relationship. Our, everyone, Jew and Gentile, the source of all of their outflow. And that wonder that Jesus would extend sonship and daughtership to all of us needs to be the source of our outflow too. The wonder of the gospel that because of Jesus, we have all that we need. He is our source. But let's just have a moment of honesty. How easy is it to replace Jesus as our source? Because life is busy. And there is so much demanding my attention. And there is so much vying for all of my time and energy that so quickly I can add religion and reading my Bible and praying to a list of to-dos for my day. And I can acknowledge Jesus, but I can lose the wonder and the awe that he has extended to me, family. I can lose the fact that he is my source and he is my everything. And I can get so caught up in the to-dos and miss out on the wonder that I can start to truly believe that spending time with him is for his benefit and not mine. 
that if I do, somehow he'll be pleased. Don't get me wrong, a father always wants to spend time with his kids. But being in the presence of Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with his needs and everything to do with mine. Because when I forgo that, all of a sudden I can start to try and parent my kids out of my own wisdom. I can try and love my husband out of my own grace. I can start to lead out of my own good ideas. And do you know what I find? Failure, frustration, the very quick understanding that all of my best is not good enough. But in Jesus, there is peace and hope and love and grace and wisdom and contentment and security and everything that I need. And when I tap into the wonder of the gospel and I come to the feet of Jesus, I find enough. I find all that I could ever need to get through whatever I'm walking in. What's your source this morning? Are we allowing that awe of our position as chosen, our position as adopted, as son and daughter of the Most High to fill us, to compel us to make room in our selfish and solo world for another. To allow that love to make us choose his wants and desires and preferences over our own, because that's what love does. But we need to feel that awe in order to shape our actions and our outflow, because it does. Love shapes what we do. Were you ever told garbage in, garbage out growing up? Yeah? No, only three of us, because two people laughed and then I was. So maybe you were told garbage in, garbage out. Maybe you were the teller of garbage in, garbage out. Anyone guilty of that one? I mean, it's a really good phrase, so I'm not saying that that's a bad one. But I definitely was. I was reminded often, garbage in, garbage out. And it's so true, right? What we fill our minds and our hearts with comes out of our mouths and our actions. But if garbage in, garbage out is true, if what we listen to and watch and read is true, then can we just admit that the opposite is true? Lovely in, lovely out. Jesus in, Jesus out. Our source dictates our outflow. When we spend time with Jesus, he rubs off on us. And it's not hard to see ourselves talking and thinking and acting like he would.
Colossians 1, 4, and then a little bit of verse 6. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Truly experiencing God, the source, leads us to an outflow that's evident in our lives. Matthew Henry puts it this way, the graces of God in them were evidence of the graces of God towards them. Write that one down. Matthew Henry, the graces of God in them were evidence of the graces of God towards them. This church had an overflow that was newsworthy. You've got to think that this is a report that's traveling. There is something incredibly noticeable happening by the overflow of relationship within this group of people. Coming back to Paul, he's writing this and he's never met them. He's just getting secondhand knowledge of how much the wonder of Jesus is transforming their lives to faith and love and good fruit and growth. What does the overflow of our lives say about our source? I just spent a week with incredible Christian leaders from across the world. There are about 2,000 of us. Some flew in from Norway and South Africa. And we learned together and were inspired together and asked God together for the next generation. For that age 4 to 14 group that is the largest unreached people group in the world, can you just let that sink in? That our kids, actually the people group in the entire world that don't know Jesus most. And can I tell you, the outflow was very easy that week. Because it's really, really easy to be joyous and to have Jesus on your lips when you're literally serve Jesus on a silver platter for just under 12 hours a day. Over 12 hours a day. And you don't have to do any dishes or bedtime routines. And I actually got to sleep. And there's no dog to wake up with. I mean, life was great. The outflow was easy. But you know what, that outflow is not the newsworthy outflow. That's not the one that is worthy of traveling all the way to where Paul is in prison. No, the outflow that's worthy of traveling all the way 
is the outflow that happens when you're stuck in a city and in a church that feels left behind in society. When you're stuck in a church that is constantly being told that you are not experiencing the fullness of God because you're not partaking in the wackadoodle. This is my theological word for things that don't actually line up with Scripture. And we're going to get to those because it's all in here. But for today, you have to understand that this church in Colossae is in the messy. They're in the internal conflict. They're in the external conflict. And they're people whose outflow is faith and love and growth in fruit. And the outflow in our lives that is newsworthy doesn't happen in the ease. The outflow in our lives that's newsworthy is when things are going sideways at work and we go back to our source, Jesus, and he gives us the respect and the grace for all of the people there. The outflow that's newsworthy is when you're head to head with your teenager again and you go to the source and he gives you the wisdom and the play-by-play and the mercy to come back and extend relationship again. The outflow that is going to point to Jesus is not going to happen in the life of ease. It's going to be what happens in our heart when the rubber hits the road. And the boat is rocking. What comes out of us then? Because that's what's going to prove who we are running to as our source. And this isn't an I've arrived moment, okay? It's not like, woohoo, we're extending this much love and grace. Yes. No, the. The words that Paul uses to talk about them are ongoing action words. They're growing. They're bearing fruit. They just didn't just grow. They didn't just bear fruit. And us making room in our selfish solo world for two. Us allowing Jesus to come and take us off of the throne of our life so he can sit there. It's not an an, I've arrived moment. That's a journey. That's why you want to look more and more like Jesus every day. I want to read this for you from the message. Our prayers for you are always spilling over into thanksgivings. We can't quit thanking God our Father and Jesus our Messiah for you. We keep getting reports on your steady faith in Christ our Jesus and the love you continuously extend to all Christians. The lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack, tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taught by hope. The message is as true among you today is when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time, and it's the same all over the world. 
the message bears fruit and gets larger and stronger just as it has in you. From the very first day you heard and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you learned it from our friend and close associate Epaphras. He's one reliable worker for Christ. I could always depend on him. And he's the one who told us how thoroughly love has been worked into your lives by the Spirit. Don't you wish someone would write that about us? That that would be true about this church? That we would still vigorously seek after God no matter how long we live this life of faith? Now, over the last couple of years, I don't know why, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I have been very curious about what will be said at my funeral. Have you ever had that moment where you just are like, hmm, I wonder what the legacy of my life will be. I wonder what those closest to me would say. And as I've reflected on it, these are the four things that still to this day, I hope, are evident in the outflow of my life. I hope that it's evident that I love Jesus. That through all of my slips and spills and stumbles, it was evident that I was a woman who pursued him. And I pray that it be evident that I love my family and the people that he's entrusted to my leadership well. I pray that it would be evident that I seek to obey him, following his lead. And I pray that it be evident that I reflect him well to the world around me. And when I come back to that, it puts all the rest of life into perspective. When I boil down what I really truly hope my legacy is, all of a sudden, all the peripheral things, they're not worth running after. Because if those four things are true, then I don't need the comfort. If those four things are true, then I don't need fame. And if those four things are true, then I don't need a full bank account. I just need Jesus and the outflow of a life lived in obedience to him. And the reason that it's so important for me to narrow those things down is because life is very quick at telling me what I should want when I die. To say, if you don't accomplish this by that time, then you've missed the mark completely and your life was worthless. If you don't have this X number of dollars, if you don't have this amount of prestige or influence, then you've missed it. But church, that's not the truth. The truth is that we only need the source and the outflow of a life lived in communion with him. 
our outflow becomes a great gauge of where our heart is and where our source is.